Worship the Lord right now. Isn't that what salvation's about? Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. It's all about Jesus. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, the first part of Acts chapter 2 is about his death, his burial, his resurrection. That old rugged cross. Thank God for the death. And thank God that cross is not a cross that has the Savior on the cross. But that cross is bare because uh, he was buried. He died and he was buried. And we're getting close to Easter. Uh, and resurrection time is getting near. Uh, but on that third day, he rose again from the dead. He's not dead. He is alive. And he's well. And I don't have to be a salesman. Um, I don't have to talk you into feeling him. You can just raise your hand and call on the name of Jesus. And you can feel that presence. And you can feel that peace. And you can feel that joy that's here right now. Why don't you clap your hands to the Lord right now? Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. We can all stand for the reading of the word of God this morning. Amen. I will not be long. And uh, God did it again. I, I thought I had a message ready to go. And the Lord, about four in the morning, I woke up and God changed the message. And that's okay. Because I want to follow, amen, the voice of the Lord and the will of the Lord today. And I know it's for a divine reason today. And I will not be long. If you have your Bibles... Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. And again, we're just so honored to be here in fellowship, looking forward to getting to know, amen, the Williams family, the bishop and the pastor. And I've known of Dustin and seen him in the, as a youth president and in passing and talked to him. But I can just tell he's doing a phenomenal job as the Missouri District Youth President, doing a wonderful job. I was telling him, that church camps and conventions were a big part of my life growing up. 
And uh, God called me and spoke to me and directed me in church camps. Amen. So I, I take it serious. I love church camps and, and conventions. So thank you for serving that capacity and what he's doing for young people. Just like me, a few years back, I'm a little older than Pastor Williams, but a few years back in the day in the 90s, amen, in those church camps growing up, amen. Of course, and Tim Tyson was my camp counselor, except he looks younger than me, and he's about 20 years older than me. How does that work? Amen, amen. All right, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. One of my favorite verses, not, you're not a stranger to this verse either, says this, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. The book of Isaiah is a wonderful book. It has about seven six or seven different timelines that run through the book of Isaiah. But this verse is a lot more than just what this verse says. There's a context and a background that makes this verse even more special than it is when I read it. So by that, with the help of the Lord, I want to take my time this morning and minister to you, amen, a message about the power of hope. Everyone say hope. We have hope in Christ Jesus. Let's pray right now. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for your presence, for your body. Amen. We're so thankful, God, for your presence. Uh, let your will be done in this place today. Whatever you want to do, God, you can do. Uh, whoever you want to touch, you can touch and heal and, amen, and break chains and save and, and refill. Whatever you want to do, Lord, let your will be done today, and we'll give you the praise for it. Uh, everyone say in Jesus' name. Let's clap our hands for the Lord right now. Amen. You may be seated. I've supervised counselors for uh, several years now in helping other apostolic counselors get their license, and I'm finding that's a role that God's using me in in helping younger counselors uh, get licensed uh, in apostolic uh, Pentecost uh, uh, to come and serve alongside. Like I said before, thank God for our pastors. Uh, I have a counseling practice and I see a lot of people, but I want you to know something. I don't see anybody unless they get the pastor's permission first uh, because I'm under the authority of that person's pastor uh, and I believe in the authority of our pastors. And I'm thankful for our pastors. Amen. But I tell my, sup my, my counselees when I supervise them something very simple. I say when you help people and you help them achieve their goals and you educate them, sometimes people can go to the counselor and say, man, that counselor was so good and did a great job and helped me so much. And I told them when they tell you that, that's a wonderful compliment. Uh, but you give it back to them and you let them know, no, you did your work. Uh, I put the ball in your court. Uh, you're the one that brought change. But that's the same thing spiritually. Today, when God has his way, uh, it will not be because uh, of the preacher Tim Bizzelli. 
It's because of the Spirit of God that's going to minister in this place. And I feel great expectation. And I know that the Lord's going to move through me and you're going to respond and God's going to have its way and it's all because of him. So when God does his thing this weekend, as we know, it's all because of him. Amen. It's all about him. And I'm so thankful for that today. This young lady, two or three weeks ago, was at a church in Chillicothe, Pastor Keck. We were there. I was there for the weekend, and there was a girl who was 15 years old who had a, a, a background that was decorated and she came from the world and it was her second service there and she came to the front of the altar and began to cry and I laid hands on her and God filled her with the Holy Ghost and she spoke in tongues and you could tell that she embraced the hope that was in Jesus. There's nothing like the hope that's in Jesus, is there? That blood that flowed from Calvary uh, was flowing over her uh, and she illuminated, she was glowing in the spirit as she was praying and speaking in tongues as God blessed her. And God had a, we had a mighty altar call, amen. And after that was finished, uh, she said to me when church was over, that sermon you preached uh, was right for me. And I looked at her and said, well, I'm thankful that God spoke to me and I heard his voice. I'm just a vessel to speak for the master. And I'm just a vessel this weekend. But I don't think I'm just here. I'm here by divine appointment. God sent me here to give you a word. Not the church down the street. Not the church in Chillicothe. But the church in Bluff City. And I don't just think I came by coincidence. But I know that God wants to speak to you today. Amen. I'm glad that we're a people of the Spirit and that we move with the Spirit. Amen. And we don't let tradition and we don't let programs uh, get in the way. And the pastor gave me the green light and I'm thankful for that kind of green light uh, because when God takes over, no one takes over like he does. No one can touch you like Jesus can. No one can give you the peace that Jesus can. I get convicted, amen, to even compare this salvation with anything in this world. And I might have said it before as a preacher and saying that he's the high among highs. But I get a conviction in my soul when I say that. Friend, there's no drug, there's no alcohol, there's no coping skill, there's no substance, there's no person, there's no experience, there's no thing that compares to Jesus Christ and his death and his burial and his resurrection power. When you get the Holy Ghost... There's nothing like it. And nothing in this world compares to it. And I get convicted. I never want to compare this Holy Ghost to anything in this world because there's no love like it. There's no experience like it. 
There's nothing like the hope that you receive when the master, the God of Isaiah, the God of Jeremiah, the God that empowered Samson and that jawbone to slay a thousand Philistines, the God that separated the Red Sea. Come on, somebody. The same God that empowered David with that slingshot is the same God that we feel here today. And his name is Jesus. And there's nothing like the gift of the Holy Ghost and the gift of salvation. It's the greatest miracle in the book, is salvation. I would rather go, amen, to heaven with the Holy Ghost limping, amen, than to have my leg healed and not have the Holy Ghost. I would rather go to heaven with a little bit of depression and have the Holy Ghost and have God holding my hands than not have him in my life. It's the greatest miracle in the word of God. And I love physical healing and I love emotional healing, but I'm so thankful for the most beautiful miracle in the word of God. It's the greatest hope that there is to mankind It's his death. It's his burial. It's his resurrection. Repentance and water baptism and the name of Jesus Christ and the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the utterance of speaking in tongues. Come on, somebody. That's the new covenant. That's the way. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. You don't have to be taught anything other than having faith to believe that he is. And you can read his word. And you don't have to have the right semantics or the degrees to raise your hand, repent of your sins, and to ask him for the Holy Ghost. If this community really knew what's here every single service, if people knew what was here every single Sunday and every single Wednesday and every prayer meeting, they would be knocking down the doors to be here. If they knew what you're experiencing, if they felt what you feel, if they got the Holy Ghost, come on, somebody. There's nothing like Jesus and his salvation. In this context, in Isaiah chapter 9, it's so beautiful because it's talking about Jesus. And it's talking about, amen, the coming of Christ. And it's a messianic prophecy that Isaiah was preaching and speaking to the children of Israel. But when you look at the time frame of Isaiah chapter 9, you'll find that Ahaz was the king, and you'll find in Kings when you study the Old Testament that Ahaz, uh, amen, knew the law, the Bible says, uh, but he disobeyed Isaiah, amen, and Isaiah would warn him. You see, there was this country called Assyria, and they were, amen, a country that did not believe in Yahweh of the Old Testament. They believed in Dagon and dead gods, and they had a big army and they were rich and Isaiah the prophet like other prophets he would warn the king don't make an alliance with that country amen we're the children of God Israel is God's chosen country don't you dare walk out on God and make an alliance with a false God so the prophets would minister 
and speak to these kings. And Isaiah spoke to Ahaz. The prophet had close political ties to the king at this time frame. They were very important. In the Bible, you'll read in the Old Testament that Ahaz went against the words of Isaiah and he made an alliance with Assyria. And when he made an alliance with Assyria, when the prophet warned him, God brought judgment onto Israel. So the time frame in Israel, there was two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom in Israel. The time frame was great darkness. Um, Assyria had invaded uh, Israel. Uh, they had invaded God's people. Uh, they took, uh, amen, uh, children, uh, amen, uh, to make them slaves, God's children. Uh, they took them to make them slaves in the Assyrian empire. Uh, they would take the women away and murder them and or murder the men and take the women and burn the houses down in Israel. It was a dark time during this chapter. It was a time of where hopelessness may have set in. It was a time where People may have been wondering, uh, but let me stop right here and say, uh, amen, when the prophet speaks, uh, do not compromise. Uh, and when people go against the man of God, uh, God always brings judgment. Uh, he always brings judgment uh, if people go against uh, the man of God uh, and the prophet of God. And Ahaz compromised and made an alliance with a foreign nation which angered the Lord. I want to say in the Holy Ghost, uh, we as the apostolic uh, Pentecostal church, uh, this is no time to ever compromise. Uh, we don't have to get more like the world. We don't have to make the church look like a nightclub uh, to have church. Uh, we don't have to make the church uh, something out of this world. Uh, we are the body of Christ. Uh, we are the church. Uh, we believe in holiness. Uh, we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we believe that he is one Lord, one Savior, and one faith. I don't get confused of who I pray to. Do I pray to the Father? Do I pray to the Son? Do I pray to the Holy Ghost? No, I say Jesus because all those three are one. I believe in one God. And I don't have to have a new revelation in God's word to make it to heaven. I don't have to have the new truth to be the cool cat in town. There's enough in the word of God right now, amen, to get us to heaven. There's enough in salvation, the Holy Ghost. There's enough meat in salvation, amen, that it can confound you. I don't want to get to the place where repentance is simple. It's wonderful. It's turning away from sin. Amen. It's psychological. It's emotional. And it's spiritual. Because when I repent of my sin, the Lord forgives me. I don't want to get to a place where water baptism in Jesus' name. Oh, I know what baptism is, a friend. It's deep. It's confounding that that blood that my wife, that cross, and that blood that was shed from Calvary that still flows today can wash the sins away of a sinner. And when they go down in Jesus' name, that blood washes their sins away. It's wonderful. It's confounding. 
Don't matter your background. Don't matter where you come from. It don't matter what the color of your skin is. It don't matter how much money you have in the bank. It don't matter what college you went to. It don't matter what high school you went to. The blood does not discriminate. He forgives whosoever will. And this is not a day to compromise in the word of God. And aren't you glad for a church of truth? Aren't you glad for a church uh, that stands up for the word of God, the bitter and the sweet? Come on, somebody. I'm glad that there's not a sugar-coated prosperity kind of gospel that says if you pray hard enough, uh, you might get a front row at the parking mall. Friend, I need the back row. I'm overweight. I want to walk. I'm not about prosperity gospel and that blessing gospel. If you pray hard enough, yes. If you pray hard enough, you might just get a, a front row seat at the mall. Well, if I pray hard enough, God's going to give me a back row seat because he doesn't need to walk. And some of these preachers on TV, these Joel Osteens, they're encouraging. But let me tell you something. The word of God is bitter and it's sweet. Aren't you glad you got a pastor that loves you enough to preach to you the entire word of God? The bitter, the sweet, the truth. I want to make heaven and I want to miss hell. I want to know what the word of God says. Thank God for the truth. And it's not a time to compromise. It's not a time to look for greener grass because what we have in this kingdom, what we have in Christ is the answer to what the world is looking for. Clap your hands to God right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There. You can imagine the scene. Houses in flames. Mothers crying. Children taken away to Assyria. A, a, a more dominant kingdom came in and judged God's people because the king did not follow the prophet. But then we have in a dark time that seemed hopeless. Hear me today. A time that seemed hopeless. Uh, a time that seemed desolate. Uh, they felt hopeless. Um, there was a prophet uh, named Isaiah that said, Unto us uh, a child is born. Uh, and unto us uh, the son is given. Uh, and the government, meaning the world, will be upon his shoulders. Uh, and his name shall be called, uh, Amen, Wonderful Counselor, uh, mighty God, everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. It might have been a hopeless time. It might have been the whole place going up in smoke, but God had a prophet that was preaching hope. He was saying, don't let go. Don't turn your back on God. God is still with you. There's coming a day when the Messiah is going to be born. The Prince of Peace is on the way. There is hope in a hopeless situation there's power in hope and when it seemed the darkest in the word of God God always had a prophet that was there to preach hope 
Amen. It might have seemed dark, but God had a preacher and a prophet to say, keep on praying. There was, hey, no matter what, there was always a remnant, a remaining few of people that followed the prophet, that believed in the law of God. And when it was the darkest, Isaiah stood up in a hopeless situation and he preached and spoke a word that was a dual prophecy. It was a prophecy for that time to bring them hope. And it was messianic in that uh, there was coming a day when God himself was going to get tired of the stench of the goats and the lambs and God himself was going to manifest himself in flesh and walk among us the hope that Jesus Christ was on the way. And that's what Isaiah was preaching. Friend, we have hope in Christ Jesus. There are people right now in Bluff City. There's somebody right now in Bluff City. There's people right now that could be overdosing because they feel hopeless. There's people right now that are suicidal and they're praying about a church to go to. Come on, somebody. There are people right now in these neighborhoods that feel hopeless and the devil makes them think that they have the hope in taking their life. And I don't mind coming to preach God's word. I don't mind talking about suicide because I'm here to say that the God that I serve is greater than suicide greater than addiction greater than the feeling of hopelessness because your feelings will rob you people feel hopeless and they believe that they have no hope and it's the greatest lie the devil ever told because we know that there's hope In Jesus, he's the way, he's the life, he's the truth. Paul said, in him I live, in him I move, in him I have my being. We have hope in Christ Jesus. But what's the difference, preacher? What's the difference? There's a major difference. Amen. We've got people right now that all they have to do in their home is call on the name of Jesus and his presence can come in and an angel can come down from heaven and take away that spirit of suicide. Come on, somebody. And you're worshiping. You're not just here praising God. When you're worshiping, amen, when the preacher's preaching, you're fed in the fire because the Bible says, where I be high and lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And God's spirit is reaching to the hopeless in Bluff City and it's reaching because of your worship because of your faithfulness Ashbury Revival did not happen amen in spite of the church Ashbury Revival did not happen uh, in spite of the church. Ashbury Revival happened uh, because you've been giving, uh, because you've been praying, uh, because you've been worshiping for decades, uh, because you've been seeing folks filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, You've been fanning the fire, and the apostolic movement has fanned the fire that is spreading to other denominations. Don't let anybody tell you that Ashbury happened in spite of us. Ashbury happened because of us. 
It happened because of you and because of me because we're a people of the Spirit. An elder, if you've been a worshiping for decades, this younger generation is feeling your prayers. Hallelujah, the fire is being fanned. And the greatest lie ever told is that people are hopeless. It's a lie from the enemy. I preach this stuff in some churches uh, and I've had the spirit of suicide hit me and like I was walking through a wall uh, and I preached about 10 times harder uh, because I knew uh, the devil doesn't like it when we talk about these kinds of things. Uh, But you know what? Suicide's bigger than you. Addiction's bigger than you. But it's not bigger than my God. I have hope in Christ Jesus. And no matter how dark it may seem, there's a preacher still preaching hope and still preaching the truth. And there is a light in the darkness. Amen. That dark tunnel, it might seem like there's no light. It's a lie of the devil. Depression says there's no light. Jesus Christ is the light. He's always been the light. There is light. There's light in your dark tunnel. There's light in your situation. There is hope. There is life. Amen. He's right there. He's holding your hand. He's not left you. He's right there. He's as close as the mention of His name, Jesus. But there's a difference because everyone has hope, correct? Amen. Everyone has hope, but there's a major difference. Here's one reason why there's a difference. Bible says in Matthew 37 through 39, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating, they were drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall coming of the Son of Man be. We've got folks that have backslidden, uh, that have forgot about the hope that's in Christ Jesus. Uh, we got people uh, that have allowed addiction and sin to take over their life uh, because they have gotten robbed uh, that Jesus, uh, he is hope. Uh, and then the rapture is going to take place one day. Uh, the Lord's going to come back. Uh, hey, church, uh, the bridegroom's going to come back. Uh, the Lord's on his way. Uh, and he's the light and he's the hope and he transcends politics and he transcends earthly kingdoms but the Lord Jesus is going to come back soon and very soon and just as the days of Isaiah where there was a prophet the son of man himself is going to come back and that sky is going to split open and that trumpet's going to sound and it's not a myth. Amen. It's not just a story. Any day now, any moment now, the Lord's going to come back. Are you ready? The hope of all generations is going to come back. Amen. The Lord is on the way. The bridegroom is coming For his bride, there's hope. Don't you love Jesus? Hallelujah, that we're the bride of Christ. We're the body. 
He's coming back for a spotless generation. Come on, somebody. He's coming back for a holy people, a people that live for him. Amen. We're children of God. Amen. He transcends race. Come on, somebody. He transcends personality. It don't matter how you talk or how you walk or where you come from. When you come unto Jesus and you receive this salvation, friend, you are family. Hey, friend, when the trumpet sounds, there won't be black people going to heaven. There won't be Italians like Tim Bazzelli. See, it's Bazzelli, the Sicilian name going to heaven. There won't be Africans and folks from Papua New Guinea and, and, uh, and France and, and England and Brazil and, and all these different nations going to, come on somebody. No, when God comes back, he's not seeing race. He's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for his people. We're going to go up as the body and the bride of Christ. It transcends race. It transcends personality. We are the body of Christ. I got brothers in Ethiopia that I haven't met, but we're brothers in Christ Jesus because of the hope in Christ Jesus. I got family in Brazil, and I really do have family in Brazil. Hey, man, Bazelis are in Brazil. Not that you care. I want you to know that. They have a trucking company. If I ever go there to preach, I got a place to stay in Jesus' name. I don't know, but they'll find out. But we're not going up as races. We're going up as the body. Hallelujah. There's no more racism in heaven. Come on, somebody. Amen. There's no prejudice in heaven. Amen. The hope if it's in Christ Jesus. Come on, friend. He won't backstab you. He won't leave you. He won't abuse you. He won't walk out on you. The hope we have in him, he's real. And he's as close as the mention of his name. He's a faithful God. His love transcends pain. His love transcends hopelessness. He is the hope. And he's wanting people to embrace him. Because here's the difference in my message. We have people that have gotten hedonistic in these last days. Lovers of pleasure, lovers of things, uh, and they've forgotten about the hope in Jesus, uh, and they want spontaneous change, uh, and they turn to the things of the world, friend. Uh, but God's going to come back, and I want to make sure I'm ready. And there's another kind of people, amen, amen, who have hopelessness in their life. But they began so, they're so used to their condition. They're so used to their sickness and their affirmity that they stopped asking God to heal them. They stopped asking God to touch them. They got so used to, to that way of thinking, so used to that issue uh, that they became desensitized uh, to the pain that that circumstance uh, was causing them. One writer said it had been a hard winter in the Rockies. The snow piled deeper and deeper. The temperature dropped below zero. Stayed there. The rivers were froze over. People were suffering. The Red Cross used helicopters to fly in supplies. 
after a long, hard day as they, amen, were returning to their base, uh, the rescue team in a helicopter saw a cabin. A cabin that nearly submerged in the snow. A thin wisp of smoke came from the chimney. The men figured those people in that cabin were probably critically short of food, fuel, and medicine. Because of the trees they had set down about a mile from the cabin, they put their heavy emergency equipment on their backs. They trudged through waist-deep snow and reached the cabin exhausted, panting, and perspiring. They pounded on the door, and a thin mountain woman finally answered. The lead man panted and said, Ma'am, we're from the Red Cross. She was silent for a moment and she said, It's been a long, hard winter, Sonny. I just don't think that we can give anything this year to the Red Cross. Hear me today. She got so used to her condition. She got so used to the storm and the crisis uh, that she forgot how deep the snow was. Uh, She forgot that she was almost out of food. Uh, She forgot that she was almost out of fuel. She forgot that she was starving to death. Uh, She forgot that death was on the way and that she was going to die in that cabin. Uh, And those are those kind of people that are in this community. Uh, They've gotten so used to their condition, so used to their despair and depression and anxiety and addiction that they don't even know that there's a God that will embrace them and deliver them if they would just reach out and embrace the hope. You see, the difference between hopeless and people that have hope is simply this. People within hope, they embrace hope. They get so sick of being, I feel the Holy Ghost. They get so sick of being sick that they reach out and they get a hold of Jesus. They get so tired of their circumstance. They don't care who's looking. They don't care how they act. They want to get a touch from God. And it's those type of people that he wants to reach because there is hope in this generation. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. People have pits that they're in. Problems in their lives. Brother Burke and I were talking at dinner last night. Amen. I was supposed to come in town early. Amen. I drive places and don't get lost. And I took the wrong way to get here. Only three hours from my house. Ended up being four and a half hours. Thank God I'm a preacher and a counselor because I'm not a good map guy. Amen. But we got here. I was talking to him and he knows a story that happened to me and there's a man in Bonterre Prison. Let me tell you something. There's a man in, in Bonterre Prison. Not too far. Bonterre's not far from here, is it? There's a prison there. I'm sure as you all know. Is that prison still there? Good, because that guy is still there. The last I heard who I'm fixing to tell you about. 1995, I know I look younger. I know. 1995, I was a freshman in high school, Brother Dustin. Amen. 15 years old. Went to church camps and conventions. Got the Holy Ghost in 1991. I'm no one special, but I have the Holy Ghost. 
hey, man, I'm a child of Jesus. Um, and I went to a high school where there were only two people that had the Holy Ghost out of a class or, or a school of 2,000 people, Fort Zumont South in St. Peter's, Missouri. And this is before Columbine. You ever heard of Columbine? Remember that, the trench coat people that had the trench coats? This is before Columbine. There's a kid in my class named Mike Colburn. Algebra class, he was 17. I think he went through algebra a few times. I don't blame him. I hate algebra. If you're bad at math, you become a counselor and a preacher. That's why I'm here. I can't be an engineer. That bridge will cave in. So I'm a preacher and a counselor. But Mike, he wore black shades. He's about six foot two, big wide shoulders. He wore a black trench coat before folks wore trench coats. He worked class every day. He had some, I talked to him before. He was a nice guy. We got along. He just had shades and black. We were at lunch, December 10th, 1995. Came back from lunch, sat down in my classroom, and a day that I'll never forget. And I wish it was an illustration and not a story that really happened, but it did. I sat in that classroom. Mike went to the blinds and began to close the blinds one by one. Mr. Hayden was our teacher. He coached the women's basketball. Mr. Hayden was a pretty big guy. He was shaking. His face turned red. He was quivering. I was in the front row, and he said, Mike, what are you doing? Don't do it. And I didn't know what he was talking about, and I looked at Mike, and with Mike's big black trench coat, he had a pistol that he had out like this. And he said, Mr. Hayden, I'm going to tell you right now. I know it's shocking. It's, I'm telling you. Wait till I get on this story. He said, Mr. Hayden, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to leave this room or I'm going to shoot you. And Mr. Hayden began to cry. He didn't want to leave the classroom. I'm 42 years old. I remember the day as though it was yesterday and every single minute in detail. When you go through a traumatic situation, you don't forget it. And I, and Mr. Hayden told the class, I'm sorry. And with tears, he wept and he left that classroom. And we were just a bunch of freshman kids in this class with this kid who was 17 years old who felt hopeless. And he said, everyone, I want you to get against the wall. Hear me today. We got against the wall. He had the women on one side, the guys on the other side. Women were crying. We men were shook. We were scared to death. We were lined up down this line. I was only 15 years old. I remember asking God, Dustin, why am I in this situation? I have the Holy Ghost. Why am I have to be in this room? And I had these emotions and my life flashed before my eyes. I was just standing there thinking, what is going on here? What's going to happen? And Mike took that pistol and waved that pistol in that line at us. And he began to walk up and down the line. There was 27 kids in the classroom. He went up and down that line with that pistol in his hand. When he got to the opposite end, Rob Rue, he thought he was cool. You know, you got classes where you got those kids that think they're really, really tough, but kind of the tough kids. And he said, he whispered at me and said, hey, I think that gun's a water gun. I'm going to go take him out. And I said, Rob, I don't know if it's a water gun or a real gun. But I know one thing. Let's not find out, bro. Let's call it a day. Let's not find out. Don't be a hero. Because if it's real, you're dead. 
And he looked at me and he goes, yeah, I think you're right. And he's waving that gun. And then Rob got this silly impulse and said, Mike, if you're going to shoot anybody, shoot me. And he said that. And it wasn't a whisper, it was loud. And I thought, I was, man, I was angry because I was standing right next to him. And here came that gunman right down to Rob. And he cocked that gun back and the gun that we thought was a water gun we realized very quickly it was a loaded 9mm gun and that gun was pointed at my friend's head and all of a sudden I realized why I was in that room because all I knew to say church I looked at him and my life flashed before my eyes and my carnal nature I thought to myself if I do this I may get shot and go to heaven because I can't live through a bullet but with that fear dispelled off of me it left me and when it left me I looked at Mike and I said Mike in the name of Jesus put that gun down and that gunman took that gun and pointed that gun to my head. And you didn't hear about this because no one got hurt. But I saw the God of heaven, the God that gave me the Holy Ghost. I felt angels that came in my classroom. I felt the presence of God. There was an angry man. And all of a sudden, when I said, in Jesus' name, his countenance changed. And this madness in him left him. And it was like he was in a stupor. And he looked around, he looked at me, and he put the gun down, and he pulled the clip out, which was loaded. And he looked at me, and he said, everyone go sit down. And we went and sat down. And you can look it up on the internet. Uh, I looked it up last night, Brother Burke, uh, before the internet. The story's still on the internet about this situation. It says that the women were let go one by one. And the story's right. But seven boys were stuck behind in that room for three hours. And I was one of those people. And I was in that room with him. And he said, Bazzelli, you talk a lot. Here's the walkie-talkie. I talked to the FBI, the hostage negotiators. He wanted a purple piece of paper signed that they'll take a helicopter and give him $10,000 and set him free. So the negotiator went and got the construction paper, put it under the door, and three hours later, he, Mike let us go. And 65 to 70 SWAT team people with helmets, uh, they flooded that classroom. Uh, there were snipers on top of the roof. Uh, he made my friends tape paper on the window with snipers uh, that would have shot Mike uh, if that gun would have went off. All these parents were in the outside banging on the door and all the kids were in the gymnasium. And here I am, little Tim Mazzelli, a freshman in high school. Hey, friend, you never know when your number's gonna get called. You never know when it's gonna be your turn to be in a situation that might look hopeless. But you didn't hear about that because no one got hurt. You know why? I ain't nobody. But I said in the name of Jesus and the power and the healing power, amen, and the rescuing power and the chain-breaking power spoke through me. Change that kid's life and it changed his countenance. And I know that no one got shot that day because of the power of the name of Jesus. Mike went and attacked his, the guard 
a few months later, and when you look at his story, Mike Colburn is in Bonterre prison for attempted murder, theft of many, many cars. He's still in prison to this day. And he sat in the classroom. And hear me today. The article says that Mike held the class hostage. I read this last night. That Mike held the class hostage because bullies bloodied his nose and he wanted to make a point to the school. But you see, that's not true because I was in the class. I know the real story. Mike said he was going to tell the police that. But the real story was that he was abused every day at his house. He was unhappy with his stepdad and his mother. And he began to cry in that class for three hours. And he wanted away. And I sat there and I watched this kid throw his life down the drain. And I went to youth conventions and I went to camp. And I was full of the Holy Ghost. And, and I had hope. And I saw a hopeless young man in that classroom. And I saw pain. And I saw hurt. And it was that, that situation that propelled me into my ministry. And the, I have other things I've gone through. But that's a big propelling force that brought me into the counseling ministry. Because you see, Mike got to a place where he felt hopeless. And he believed the lie of the enemy. And he thought the only way out was to get 28 counts of kidnapping. And to hold his class hostage. And this young man is still in prison today, probably about 44 years old. How many people do you know right now that feel hopeless, uh, that make mistakes, uh, that don't embrace uh, the God that is there? Yes, Mike was in a deep pit. Yes, Mike was hopeless, uh, but friend, where there's a pit, uh, where there is hopelessness, uh, amen, where there's a pit, there's a Savior, uh, and his arms are open wide, uh, and he's as close uh, as the mention of his name, and all they have to do is reach out, uh, and he'll pull them out of their pit. Somebody might say, how deep is the pit? Addiction theory says there's a rock bottom theory that when people have drugs and alcohol issues, they have to come to a place in their life where they hit rock bottom. Let's all stand today. Where they hit rock bottom. And they say, okay, today's the day I'm going to change. But I've had parents in my office cry for years saying, I don't know that the rock bottom is going to work for my son John. I'm afraid his rock bottom's death. And they say, I don't know how deep he's going to go. And how many people do you know that backslid that are in the rock bottom of their pit? People that have worshipped with us. People that have lost hope. They forgot about their condition. The God of their condition. You see, so many people, they get so stuck in the cabin that all they see is the snow and the hopelessness. And they forget to look at the God of the cabin, the one that built the cabin, the provider. And they get so caught in their situation that they don't even look up to the God of their situation. And they get buried in the circumstance. And all they talk about is the circumstance. And they think about the circumstance. And God's saying, would you just look up unto me? Would you just raise your hands to me? Would you just lift your head up? Because my hands are open wide. And I'm here to pull you out of your pit. It's another sermon for another service. 
Amen. But who determines the depth of their pit? Not God. The Bible says it's not his will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. He doesn't want anybody to to backslide, anyone to perish. We determine how deep our pit is. We determine how deep that pit is. And all we have to do is look up under the God of the pit and say Jesus and raise our hands to him and he'll deliver us. You see, Mike felt like he was hopeless, but all Mike had to do is raise his hands in the air. Amen. And God could still save him today. Maybe I'll go visit him someday. Maybe I'll go witness to him, Brother Williams, because he needs the Holy Ghost. And the God of the pit. You see, where there's a pit. You ever been through a pit? (laughs) Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. Sometimes life happens. Life can rain. We got people with cancer in this church. My aunt lives a half hour from here, backslidden, mental illness and alcoholism her whole life. I never knew my aunt sober. She's watching right now on live stream this service. Amen. She is ate up with esophageal cancer because of alcoholism. Her daughter is at home right now in remission of cancer, who's my cousin, who are looking for the hope. We got people with cancer. We got people with affirmities and sicknesses and and depression and anxiety. And it might feel hopeless. But I want to say in the name of Jesus, I know the great physician I know the God that can heal depression. I know the God that can heal cancer. Uh, and I don't care how it may look. Uh, and I don't care how it may seem. There's power and healing uh, in the name of Jesus. Uh, and don't you stop praying for your kids uh, that are sick. Uh, and don't you stop praying for those people that are in need. We've got people who feel hopeless. And the God of hope is right there waiting for them to reach out. You see, God's a gentleman. He won't force himself on anybody. He's waiting for them to reach out and to get a hold of him. Tonight, I'm going to minister to you about people that come to church every service in wheelchairs. They come to church every service and burn bandages. They come to church every service in body casts uh, that you may never see. Wounds that you may never know. And they sit with you in church and clap their hands. uh, And like this lady, they've forgotten about their condition. That God can heal that condition. That God can heal that trauma. So tonight I'm going to speak to that. That's okay in the Holy Ghost. I'm going to speak to physical affirmity. I'm going to speak to emotional trauma with the Word of God. But I want to say in the Holy Ghost, there's power in hope this morning. No one is hopeless. It's a lie of the enemy. The devil's a liar. The devil's a Why are you preaching like this? Because we got people committing suicide that believe the lie. And it hurts me deep because we have the hope. We've got the one 
that can dispel that spirit of suicide. We got the one that all people have to do is reach out and embrace him. And when they embrace him, they'll find healing. He can do more. I'm not against counseling. I'm a counselor myself. He can do more in one touch than a counselor can do in 10 sessions. He can do more, amen, than anyone in this world can do just in one touch. And we must reach out. And we must get sick of being sick. And we got to remember our condition. If you've been praying for a condition for a long time, today could be healing day. If you've been praying for deliverance for a long time, Today could be the day the Red Cross comes and knocks on your door and says, Ma'am, I'm here to rescue you. But we get people that get so used to it that they become numb to their circumstance. I want to be sick of being sick. You ever get sick of being sick? You ever get tired of being tired? You ever get tired of a problem in your family, a problem in your kid's life, a a problem in your life uh, that nags you every service uh, and you come to the house of God carrying weight uh, and you wonder when God will lift that weight uh, when all we have to do is reach out to him and he can lift that weight off of us. Off of the Holy Ghost. This okay, church? There's a ministering spirit that's here. When I walked in, there's a ministering spirit There's a spirit of healing and reconciliation and touch. If you've ever felt hopeless and you need a physical touch, this altar is open. We're going to sing. This altar is open. If you need a financial blessing, hey man, God can give you that. This altar is open. If there's a problem that you're tired of that won't leave you alone, I want you to know this altar is open. Because I can't fix your problem. Come on, somebody. Your pastor can't fix your problem. You know when my counseling ministry took off? uh, When I realized that I can't fix anybody. When I realized that my job was to lead them to the God of the fixer. The the fixing God himself. My job was to lead them to God who is the fixer. Because he can fix. He can heal. And that problem that's bigger than me and you. uh, uh, uh. It's not too big for God. You see, he's the fixer. And all we have to do is get desperate. Amen. And reach out to him. And he'll take you by the hand. Amen. And he'll lead you out of that circumstance. Singers, let's sing today. Amen. Let's sing. Whoever wants to come, the altars are open. You need a refilling of the Holy Ghost? The altars are open. You need encouragement? The altars are open. Is there an issue that has been nagging you for years? The altars are open. God sent me here to tell you to look up on the God because he cares and he loves you and he knows that need. Let's worship him right now.